September 11th, we're getting ready to launch a 52-week series um, in going through the greatest story that's ever been told. God's story, his story of the Bible uh, from creation to eternity, a story of God and his people, seeing how all of the stories in scripture fit together to make one beautiful, redemptive story between us and God. Um, But this month of August, we're kind of laying some groundwork. We're going to get ready for this, prepare our hearts and our minds for it. And so this week, uh, we're going to do a little bit more of that work. We're going to call today's message Firm foundations, firm foundations. Now, um, to start off with here, uh, what, is, what, what image do you see up here? Just shout it out. What is that? You guys are smart. Um, it's one of the most recognizable buildings in the world. It's the Leaning Tower of Pisa, or as we Italians uh, like to say, the Torre Pendente de Pisa. So it's, uh, it just oozes out of me. I don't you know. Uh, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, built in 1372 AD. That's a long time to be leaning. Um, the question is, though, have you ever asked, why is it leaning? Like, what caused the leaning? Was it poor craftsmanship? Uh, was it a bad design? Was it like a one-legged engineer who was like, yeah, that looks good. That's, that's fine. Uh, according to the always reliable Wikipedia, it says the, uh, the tower's tilt began during construction. So right at the outset caused by an inadequate foundation on ground too soft on one side to properly support the structure's weight. So the issue, it was a foundation issue. It was a poor foundation. There was sandy soil, marshy land, especially on the one side that it's leaning toward, and it was only, they only had a 10-foot depth for the foundation for a building of that size just doesn't work. In 2001, It was $25 million that were spent, 110 tons of dirt moved to try to adjust that thing by 16 inches. How much easier would it have been to have simply built the building on a firm foundation? And last week, we discussed the importance of worldview. Remember, we defined worldview as the way that we see the world. And the way that we see the world around us affects everything that we say and think and do and and feel. And so our worldview is the foundation upon which everything else is built upon. The structure of our lives, every single thing that stems from our lives, is built on the foundation of how we see reality around us. And if I don't build my worldview on a proper foundation, I end up as the leaning tower of Justin. And in Psalm 11, it says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If our foundations are not firm, if they're not fixed on the word of God and his truth, then there's only destruction ahead of us. So how do we build on a firm foundation? How do we do that? That's what we want to talk about this week. Uh, there's an old ancient Chinese proverb that says, if you want to know what the water is, if you want to know what water is, don't ask the fish. Okay, do not ask the fish. And what that means is you wouldn't walk up to a fish and ask him where he came from. Where did the fish bowl come from? Where did the water come from? Tell me about your reality. It's a fish. They don't talk. That's part of the, part of the issue. Uh, but but they, all they know is the water. All they know is the fishbowl. They don't have a perspective. They don't see outside of the fishbowl. There's no way that that little fish can understand all of the reality and the beginnings of how everything came to be around him. So who would you ask? You'd go to the owner of the fishbowl, right? You go to the one that put the fish in the bowl. That's the one that's going to know 
about the fish's reality. So when we attempt to know truth, remember we said last week, to, to know how we know what we know is true, the big word we use is our epistemology, how do we know what we know is true? When we go to know that, it cannot be pay, based on our little fish brains, right? It can't be based on my ability to reason and feel and experience the world around me. So we look to the one that put us in this fishbowl called earth the one that made everything we see. If we, if you and I are going to stand on firm foundation, then our worldview must be completely informed and directed by God. And so today what we want to walk through is that our worldview needs to be informed by, and we're going to use some courtroom uh, terminology here, his truth, his whole truth, and nothing but his truth. So help us God. Um, the first one here, his truth. One of, one of the most beautiful truths in all of the world is that God chose to reveal himself to us. You ever think about that? God didn't have to do that. He didn't have to tell us anything. He could have put us on this world and just giggled as we kind of ran around and tried to figure things out. But that's not what God did. He revealed himself, and he revealed himself to us in a couple of ways. The first way is creation. And we see this in Romans 1. Paul explains this very clearly. He goes, they know the truth about God because he made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was, what, created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Isn't that interesting? He's saying just through creation itself, we can know a lot about God. Isn't that right? I mean, we can know that he's eternal, he says. We can know that he's divine, he says. We can know, I mean, how much can we know through man? We were made in his image, Genesis 1:26. We can learn a lot about God through each other, and we can know the power of God through an earthquake. Hey, we experienced that firsthand earlier this year, amen? We, we can know the tenderness of God in a baby. We can know the humor of God in the folks from the Kiski, all right? <laughs> Hey, red and yellow, black and white. Um, there is a lot of necessary, necessary information that we cannot get from creation. I'm never going to look at a moose and go, oh, God sent his son to this world, 100% God, 100% man, you know, to die for the sins of the, thanks, you know, I'm just kind of reading it in the moose fur, right? Like there's a lot about God that, that he had to, that we didn't know in general revelation, creation, that he had to reveal to us specifically through another means. And that means, of course, is his word. And isn't it amazing what God did, the way that he chose to reveal himself to us and the reality of this world through his word, the way that he brought this truth together is so unique, a way that only God could. The Bible was written in the course, over the course of 1,500 years. Think about that for a second. One book, okay? 1,500 years. And he used 40 different authors. He used kings, he used peasants and he used poets. He used fishermen and he used philosophers. He had men who were writing in all sorts of locations. They wrote in palaces. They wrote in prisons. They wrote while they were at war. They wrote while they were at peace. They wrote on deserted islands, in the wilderness, while they were traveling. God spoke on three different continents, this Bible was written, in three different languages. 
And the beautiful thing is, that while the Bible is written about hundreds of topics and many different stories, it's all pulled together by the Holy Spirit to tell one beautiful, unending story about God and his people, and it's pulled together by the scarlet thread of Jesus, our Savior and our God. Amen? It is this beautiful truth that he's given to us so that we can know him. And we know that these guys who wrote this, these authors, they weren't just making stuff up. They weren't just like, I don't know, God is awesome. Like, you know, just kind of pulling it out of their own heads. We see in Hebrews 1, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. So God is the one speaking through the prophets. Now, when we think prophecy, we often think of like telling the future. And that's part of prophecy. But prophecy, in, in its basic definition, means to, to speak to people on behalf of God. So it doesn't just have to be what's coming. It can also be of what has happened and what is happening. So these men, God uses to speak through them the truth to us. And in Second Peter, it gets more specific. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. You see what he just said there? It wasn't the prophet going, you know what I need to do? I need to write about God. Or this is, this is what I want to tell you about God. God gave them, he, he said you need to do it, and he told them what they needed to write. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, Peter says, and they spoke from God. They were God's megaphone to the world, but it was God's voice. And of course, the most famous verse on this topic, 2 Peter 3, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking. And, and, and your version might say inspired, but the word means that God breathed into these men, and we don't have time to get into like kind of how exactly that worked, because a lot of that we just don't know. But God spoke to us through these men about the truth of him and the reality of Around us. And the really cool thing is that not only did God speak to us in his word, but he's preserved his word for us. You realize and there have been many who have tried, but no one has been able to prove the Bible to be errant or inaccurate. And, and, and over the course of, of these years, this amazing way that God has faithfully preserved his word, there are these men who have meticulously spent hours and weeks and months copying the word from what used to be scrolls or papyrus. They would copy them down to these new manuscripts, and the way that they would do it, they would count each letter in the book, and then they would count, they would would identify the middle letter of that word, the middle letter in the book. And then when they copied it over here, they count every letter and make sure it was the same number and find the middle letter and make sure it matched up with that other, the original's middle letter. And then they do the exact same thing all over again with the word, each word, okay? Like, God, why couldn't you have given us computers earlier? This is so time-consuming. But he did it so that we'd know that what we have is his truth. And not only that, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls, we found those 70 years ago, these scrolls that were found, they were written, they were the manuscripts from 100 B.C., Before that, the earliest manuscripts we had were from 900 A.D., so that was a thousand years in between. We found, in other words, we found these original documents that were a thousand years older than the ones we had previously found. And you know what the beautiful thing is? There weren't any significant differences. And we could see and we could know that the truth that God spoke to those men thousands of years ago are the same truths that we're reading today in our Bibles and on our iPhones and Androids. So... God preserved his truth for us so that we can know him and his truth. But it's not just that we know his truth, it's that we know his whole truth. Um, I got with me, 
I brought a book. I, I kind of lied to you last week. I said that I wasn't, we were going to get, be in the Bible, not outside the Bible, but I actually really want to read uh, this book. It's The Little Mermaid. Um, it's just, it's just important, guys. This is life truth that we need. Um, so what I'm going to do, I need, uh, Paul, would you read this to me? Please. Would you just go ahead and, and read it for me? Uh, this is going to be a really beneficial use of our time. So go ahead. I'm listening. I love stories. King Triton, the great sea king. Now, stop right there, Paul. You're, you're killing me. No, I, uh, so where did you start? I believe it's page one. So you started reading at the beginning. Now, Paul and I didn't work this out, right? I didn't contact you I'm like a magician. We didn't work this out, right? You're not staged. No. I barely know you, right? It is Paul, right? Yeah. So Paul elected to start at the beginning. Isn't that incredible? Do you know why he did that? Because he's a normal human being, right? <laughs> He, he's well that might be a stretch but we, thank give it up for paul he's, he's a great guy uh paul and he helped he helped us out with the uh, sound system last week he identified the problem so praise god for paul um i would not just open a book okay i'm reading for whom the bell tolls right now i'm trying to i wouldn't just pick it up and go to paragraph three on page 117 and just start reading who what is this story about who, who are these characters? I have no context. It's a normal thing to start at the beginning of a book and read through the book and end at the end, right? And I'm going to drop some knowledge on you. Are you guys all sitting down on dry seats, hopefully? The Bible is a book. <laughs> Mic drop. Um, the Bible is a book. It's a book that has a beginning and a middle and an end. And you got to ask yourself, why don't we approach the Bible like we approach every other book? Why do we, you know, we read a verse over here, and then a verse over there, and then a book from here, and a story from here, and a story from there, and we never really approach the Bible like we would approach any other book. To start at the beginning, and then to work our way through to the end. It makes the most sense to be read like that. Now, a lot of us, we have our Bible in the year devotional, but even when we're reading through that, we don't really realize that the story we're reading it's one story that all fits together to tell one beautiful story about God and man. And, and how many, and you don't have to raise your hand on this, but how many, do you fe- how many of you feel like the Bible makes sense to you? Like, like you would say that in general, you could flip it open to any page and just kind of start reading and that you would be able to make sense of what's being said and how that would tie in with the rest of the Bible. Would you feel confident in that? That you would understand, because so I think for so often, so many of us, I mean, I've been, many of us know the stories, like we know Joseph, we know Jesus, we know Moses, but we have no idea what those individual stories have to do with each other. How does this work together to tell us this one story? I've been quoting Bible verses since I was loading up my jewel pins and sparkies, right? I know all about it, but it wasn't until Bible college when I was taught in this way. And then I began to see how all the stories fit together to tell one story. And I will tell you what, it was light bulb central. And I started to understand the word and be able to feed myself on the word in ways that I had never had before. And that is my prayer that God would do us that with us as we move through this study together. In the mid-1960s, there was a man named Trevor McElwain. Uh, he was a missionary. He and his wife, they moved to uh, the Philippine Islands 
suffering for Jesus, right? Right there. Uh, man. And there was, they moved among these people called the Palawano. Now, these Palawano people, they have an interesting story. Um, they had been, there had been people after people who had moved to those islands and captured them and, and, and sort of forced their, um, kind of colonized them. And so with that, you remember from last week, we talked about how we can have kind of a buffet of worldviews. And this was the Palawano. They had animism from their ancestry. They, you know, the belief that we can manipulate gods um, through our actions. They had, they had uh, Hinduism that had come in and influenced them, that pantheistic worldview. They had had uh, the Muslims who had stepped in. So they had monotheism. They just had all this worldview kind of sprinkled in. They had had this really tough uh, past um, where they had been taken captive over and over again by all these people. Well, then these missionaries move in, and they tell them about Jesus, and they start planting all these churches. There's about 40 churches that are planted on these couple little islands that the Palawano live on by the time Trevor and his wife show up. But it didn't take long for, for Trevor to understand that these people did not know Jesus. And they did not have a clear understanding of the gospel. They had mixed all these different beliefs together. And what came out was this very worldly, very works-based salvation. These people were murdering each other. They were, you know, they had multiple wives. They were practicing all of these, um, all of these things that stepped outside of scripture. And it was a hot mess. So Trevor decides, we need to teach them the gospel clearly. So where do we go if we're going to teach them the gospel? Well, he says, let's, let's go to the gospels, right? Stands to reason. So he says, we're going to go verse by verse through the book of John and clearly teach them about Jesus. And so he goes to do this. And, and, and as the story goes, Trevor says he sits them all down and he starts to teach. So he goes to John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word. Guy puts his hand up. The beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of the story that you're telling? The beginning of, they, they didn't know what the beginning was. And then it was the word. Well, what do you mean the word? Why is it a capital W? It's, it's, well, it's Jesus. Jesus is the word. Well, what are you talking? All this confusion comes out in just the first six words of the book of John. So then, he, well, okay, well, let's keep going. Maybe it'll get more clear. He goes to verse three. All things were made by him. What do you mean made by him? Well, he created everything. Creation, what's that? Well, it was, I, well, I thought God created everything. Well, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. What in the world are you talking? It just gets confusing, man. Then they get to verse 11. He came unto his own. They go, well, what does that mean? Well, there was this people group. There was Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then there was this people of Israel, and then there was this coming deliverer that was promised through them, and it became very obvious. It hit him like a freight train. I intended to start at the beginning of John. I need to start at the beginning of the Bible. We need to go back to the roots of how this all began so they can have a complete worldview and understand God as he's revealed himself to us. And this is what Trevor said. He said, I, I see the need <clears throat> to, to the Bible to be seen as a whole. He says, as, to see it as God's complete unified message to all mankind. I realize that the Old Testament is not a compilation of interesting stories to be used only as types and illustrations of New Testament truth. So he says it's not just a bunch of fun little stories in the Old Testament. No, it's much more than that. He said the Old Testament is the logical introduction, foundation, and authority for the story of Christ recorded in the New Testament. In other words, we can never clearly understand Jesus and salvation if we don't understand the Old Testament context from which he came. We have to lay a foundation of who God is, what creation is, sin, the law, 
the people of Israel, the sacrifices, the promised redeemers. In fact, and here's the really cool thing, Jesus himself did this. This is how he taught. You remember that story uh, in Luke 24? Um, Jesus has risen from the dead. That's the context. He's just, this is the day, this is the Sunday that he comes back from, from the dead. And this is what happens. This is interesting. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they, walk, as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. So all of a sudden, there's just another guy there. And it's Jesus, but it says, but God kept them from recognizing him. So these are his followers, but somehow God keeps them from knowing that this is Jesus who's walking with them. So then they say, uh, he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? Okay, what are you guys talking about? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. You won't even live under a rock? Like, how do you not know the story about this guy? He's just, I can you just imagine Jesus just grinning, like, okay, tell me about it. He goes, what things, right? Go on. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the, guy, in the eyes of God and his people. And they start telling him the story. Well, Jesus came to the people of Israel. They killed him, uh, put him on a cross. They start telling this whole story. Then we fast forward. Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote about in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering glory? You see what he says? The prophets told you all this was going to happen. If you knew the Old Testament, you would understand this. And then this is so fascinating. And Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Don't you wish you could have been a fly on that road? And to hear Jesus talk through the Old Testament, revealing himself through it. I'm like, why didn't you write that part down, Luke? That'd been really good. And the, the, the crazy thing is, <clears throat> so when he says the, the writings of Moses, <clears throat> that's referred to, what we'd refer to as the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Penta, five, the first five books. And then when he refers to the prophets, oftentimes the Jews would refer, refer to the prophets as the, the rest of the Old Testament. Not necessarily just Isaiah, Jeremiah, but all of the Old Testament books. And um, so Jesus, basically, he uses the Old Testament. <clears throat> and you know why he didn't use the New Testament? He was living it right then. It wasn't written yet. So he uses the Old Testament to explain the things concerning himself. You see, the entire Bible, not just the New Testament, the entire Bible is about Jesus. And the Old Testament is a shadow where the New Testament is the realities and Jesus takes center stage. But we can't understand the realities if we don't understand the foundations. So this is how we're going to study the Bible together. Study it as I believe God intended it to be. One story, creation to redemption, creation to the cross. So we're going to start in the beginning, and we're going to show how each story connects to the next one, and how they all work together to tell this one story of God and man, of sin and Jesus. And so what we're going to do is, the study is going to be chronological. Okay, and that's just a big word. Chrono means time, and, and that means in, in order of time. So we're just going to go through the story in the order that it was told. Now, 
just because the Bible, the Bible isn't necessarily, as you read it from cover to cover, it's not necessarily in chronological order. Some of the books are out of order. Some of the stories are out of order. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at it in the way that it was told. Stories are, are told in, in chronological order. The Little Mermaid is told in chronological order, right? Boy meets girl. They fall in love. They get married, right? Tale as old as time. I got to stop singing Disney songs at church. <laughs> Elders are going to be like, all right, buddy. Um, That's the way that we would normally tell a story, right? In the order of the events as they occur. Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to go verse by verse. In fact, we are going to be skipping whole books. We are going to be following the major storyline in the Bible, um, in in the order that the events happen. And we're going to major on the majors, okay? So we're not going to talk about every judge and judges. We're not going to talk about every king and kings. We're going to talk about the major storyline of God reuniting himself through mankind. Have you ever, um, you ever tried to put a puzzle together without the picture on the box? It's enough to make a man lose his mind, isn't it? Like you're looking at this thing, and I don't know how this fits together. Like, you know, and I don't know what this piece has to do with this piece, and I can't do it. Like, I have to have the picture. And each one, I'm like, okay, that's where it goes. You know, and then don't even get me started on the sky. I can't even take it, right? This is very healthy. This is healthy for me to be able to talk about this. Um, Trying to read the Bible without knowing the whole story is like trying to put the puzzle together without the picture on the box. We go, okay, well, where does Noah fit with Philippians, right? And and what about these prophets? The prophets are kind of like the skies. Like, I have no idea what to do with the prophets. Or how about this little piece of the puzzle, just as an example? What about the law, okay? So we have this law sitting in the middle of, of the Old Testament. And God says these things. He says, you know, do not steal, do not lie. Okay, we, we've known since we were kids we're not supposed to steal or lie. But then he goes on and he says these other things. He says, you must obey all my decrees. We've talked about the Bible's not just, it's not just 10 commandments in the Old Testament. There's actually 613. So he starts going deeper into these commandments. Do not mate two different kinds of animals. And most of us, that doesn't affect our day-to-day living. Maybe the Martins could pay attention to that one. I don't know. Uh, and this one too. Do not plant your field with two different kinds of seed. But then what about this one? <clears throat> Do not wear clothing woven from two different kinds of thread. All right, check your tag. Well, that's, that's not all natural, right? I guarantee you. This isn't on a plant somewhere. Um, so, who go, well, is that, are we, am I in sin right now because of the shirt that I'm wearing? Do not eat meat that has been drained of its blood. Well, that really changes my lunch plans. Do not trim off the hair of your temples or trim your beards. I... I'm in big trouble, right? Do not cut your bodies for the dead and do not mark your skin with tattoos. I am the Lord. Are tattoos wrong? So where do we, and then, and then verse tw- uh, chapter 20, anyone who dishonors father or mother must be put to death. Some of you parents are like, amen. <laughs> what was that reference? Oh, yeah. And you know what James says? He goes, for the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as the person who's broken all of God's laws. He says, you break one law and it's as bad as if you've broken them all. So we go, okay, well, how in the world does this puzzle piece of the law fit in with the story of God and what we're called to do and be? Are we supposed to obey the law? Are we supposed to obey some of the law? All of the law? What about grace? I thought we were saved through faith in, in, in Jesus by his grace. So, so how do we make sense of all of this? And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the picture on the box in this series so that we can see how all of these types of pieces, these super, this is an important thing, it's a life or death thing to grapple with here. How does this fit in with God's story, and what are we called to? Final one, nothing but his truth. His whole truth, 
nothing but the truth. Uh, on the island of Papua New Guinea, which is located right above Australia, there was this widespread phenomenon called the cargo cult. Uh, the cargo cult was this, so white missionaries came to tell the people in Papua New Guinea about Jesus, and when they come to them, they would bring cargo, food, medicine, clothing, supplies. And so these, these, these tribal people in Papua New Guinea, they, they loved this, right? Um, they, they had the, we talked about the worldview of animism and how often we see that in the indigenous people in the world. Animism rules Papua New Guinea. And so they are trying to appease the gods in order to get what they want. So the people of Papua New Guinea saw this connection. And what they would do is they're like, well, if we build an airstrip, these suckers will come land their airplane here and just give us all this stuff. It's awesome. They'll give us all this cargo. So they thought, we are, in building this airstrip and appeasing the gods by doing these acts, the gods are sending us these goods. And so when the missionaries came and told them about Jesus, you know what they said? Sure. Throw them on the pile. We got all these other gods that are giving us stuff that we want and need. Jesus can be just like one of those other gods. So what they did is they simply added Jesus to the list of gods that they already had. This is what we call syncretism. Syncretism is, is the blending of beliefs together. It's taking what the world has taught you and, and combining it with what God has taught us into this kind of weird mix of works and grace. and It's a mess. And don't we do a similar thing in America? We believe in this ideal, this American dream of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And oftentimes, just like the cargo cult in Papua New Guinea, we say it's life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and Jesus. And we just sort of sprinkle Jesus on top of the American dream. But brothers and sisters, we cannot allow our culture, our country, to tell us what to value and what our purpose is and the truths about man and reality and our God. We are, we are, we are not Americans who also like Jesus. We are Christians who live in America. And our first and foremost allegiance is to him. And we must let God inform our values and our purpose and the truth about him and us. We can't just sprinkle Jesus on top of it. We have got to get to the roots of our beliefs and let Jesus, God in his word, as he's revealed his truth to us, to completely inform every aspect of our hearts and souls and minds. firm foundation. We must build on a firm foundation. That's why we're going to go back to the beginning. We're not just going to add Jesus. We're going to get back to the roots of God and, and his truth as he's revealed it to us. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? We said at the beginning of last week, and this is where we'll end, um, we said the purpose of this study is to know God as he's revealed himself to us through his story. And today we saw that it's to know him as he's revealed himself to us through his story, his whole story, and nothing but his story. But I don't want us to lose sight of the heart of what we're doing here, and that's at the beginning. It's to know our God. It's not just, hey, look at this. I know, I know the whole story now. I got it. But it's, that's great, but why? To what end? You see, this is not primarily about head knowledge. This is about love, and this is about worship. You don't get to know your spouse more just so that you can spout off these cool statistics about them, right? You guys, my wife... She's, she's putting out 1.3 babies every three years. It's amazing. She's crushing it right now, right? And you should see the casseroles that she can make, right? Did I do enough generalizing there and stereotyping? 
Yikes. Um, so, but we do it. We get to know our spouse more so that we can love them more. And in the same way, we get to know our God more and to know him rightly so that we can love him more and love and worship him rightly. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There's only one God. And he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. He says, you want to boil all this down to what I've called you to. And this is amazing. He said, it's a love relationship with me. I want you to know me so that you can love me. But Jen Wilkins said it very well. She said, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. And so we want to, over the course of this next year, to get to know God more so that we can love him more, to know him rightly so that we can love him rightly and worship him rightly. Or as the teddy bears sang, to know, know, know him is to love, love, love him. And the teddy bears sing it. You know it's gospel truth, right? Um, So over the course of this next year, let's get to know him more so that we can love him more and worship him more. And here's my question for you. Do you hunger and thirst for him? Do I hunger and thirst for him? Not just did we show up at church on Sunday, not just did we do our devotions, but as we sang, and I'm so glad that this was God, Jeff chose the song, As the Deer Pants for the Water. Because do we, like a deer who's out of breath and can't take another step if they don't have that water, is that our heart for God? Do we hunger and thirst for him? Seek and we will find. If we're hungry, he will feed us. If we're thirsty, we can drink deeply of his waters. And my prayer is that we would get to know him more in this study so that we would find and taste and see that the Lord is good. So let's lay a firm foundation knowing God as he's revealed himself to us in one story starting at the beginning. And next week, we're going to talk about how we read that story properly. Let's pray. Father, you alone are God, you alone are good, and I just want to say thank you that you revealed yourself to us through creation, and especially when we live in Alaska here, we get a first row seat to your majesty, but not just creation, you, you miraculously pre- wrote and preserved your word for us so that we can know you through the story that you revealed to us in scripture, and I pray that you, pray that you would continue to prepare our hearts to give us a hunger and a thirst to know you, rightly, so that we might love you and worship you and taste and see that you are good. It's in your beautiful son's name that we pray. Amen.